and really you have to love it. I mean, you have to really love it like more than anything to know when this stuff that you're trying out doesn't fit and doesn't sound right and it doesn't sound like bluegrass. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Keith Billick here. And if you are hearing this right when it comes out, this is actually only our first opportunity to meet today because something very cool tonight. You've you've probably heard about the VIP Lounge, which is a video meetup with uh, me and your fellow listeners, normally reserved only for uh, the Patreon supporters. But as a holiday generous gift, my, my heart was growing three sizes too big. I decided to open that VIP lounge up to all of you. So please head to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash banjo podcast. There is a post there with the Google Meet link that you will use tonight. That's December 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, use that link. Uh, Let's chat some banjos and I hope to see you all there. And I, I do realize that a lot of you will not hear this in time, in which case I still encourage you to go to the Patreon site. That is how you uh, support the show. I, I rely a lot on the support of you listeners, and it's much, much appreciated uh, for all of you who, who sign up there and throw me a few bucks uh, per month to keep this show going full steam ahead. And a good example of that is this episode. This is one of a handful of interviews that I was able to get at IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music Association Conference, last fall. And that would not have been possible if I didn't have the support of you listeners. So thank you so much once again. Uh, We actually have a specific supporter to recognize for today's show. The Patreon supporter of the day is Stephen Moore. And yes, it's that Stephen Moore. He was profiled back in episode 49. He's a fantastic banjo player. I was honored to have him as a guest. And I am equally honored to have him as a Patreon supporter. So Stephen... Uh, Thank you so much for your generosity. And once again, for the rest of you, patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself. Another holiday season bonus for you all. Anyone who is interested in getting those official Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast t-shirts that you've seen all the cool kids wearing, head over to the website, banjopodcast.com. And from now until the end of the year, that's uh, 2021 for those of you who are from the future, uh, use coupon code PICKY21 to get 21% off your order at the website. And that's all the cool t-shirts, all the stickers. Yeah, check it out. Coupon code PICKY21. Other than that, the only two things I will leave you with is also the email address to get a hold of the show. I always love uh, listener feedback or suggestions or comments. Get a hold of me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Look for me on all the social medias. And then, uh, as I said, one last thing. As we know, the holidays are a time to get all sentimental and stuff. So I'm really grateful to be able to do this show as a hobby, not quite a living, maybe a (laughs) whatever you want to call it. I'm grateful to be able to do it. And I'm grateful for all of you who make it possible. That's all of you listeners. And I know a lot of you are in various places around the world. So however you choose to celebrate or not celebrate the holiday season, 
I just hope that you are all staying safe and uh, taking care of yourselves, taking care of each other. And I'm sure that none of you are on the naughty list this year. Today's featured guest is Corey Walker. Corey is still a pretty young guy, so it's it's easy to think about him as being some up-and-coming, uh, talented banjo guy, but no, he's been really, really good for a long time, since he was a kid. So he's actually one of the most in-demand banjo performers in the business. He's performed regularly with all sorts of people, among them David Greer, Sierra Hull, Jim Lauderdale, Mountain Heart, and now plays regularly with the bluegrass band called East Nash Grass out of Nashville, Tennessee. What can I say about Corey? You will hear from this interview that he has a deep love and appreciation for the roots of bluegrass, but also is taking a very bold approach in forming his own style and bringing in all sorts of other influences into his mostly bluegrass playing. But either way, there's no doubt that he's one of the most talented players out there. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Corey Walker. My name is Corey Walker. I am from Lithia, Florida, which is about an hour east of Tampa. Uh And um, I started playing when I was seven uh, because my dad fell in love with bluegrass music and plays banjo and and now other instruments as well when he was in high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, he heard Flatt and Scruggs and just needed to do it, you know, needed to take on that journey, I guess. And uh, so, so I was always hearing bluegrass growing up before I could talk you know I was hearing newgrass revival records you know oh awesome yeah yeah he is a big newgrass guy and uh yeah it's kind of cool seeing uh for him seeing that now you know my brother just to segue here my brother uh Jared plays mandolin for Billy Strings Uh and so it's like ultimate like jam dream come true kind of thing for for the old man Yeah, yeah yeah it's yeah it's cool but anyway this is supposed to be about me. I forgot. Yeah, I'll, I'll steer it back. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so maybe you were even too young to remember, but a lot of kids tend to reject what their parents are into, where it seems like you and I know your brothers are musicians. Yeah. Uh, you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what it was about the music that also appealed to you? Mm. Well, you know, I, I think when, when it's around, when the music or whatever art form uh, whatever it is, when it's around and you can't even talk yet, I, I think a lot of things just make sense intrinsically. And you can't, you can't deny that, you know. And, and, you know, growing up, I mean, my mom and dad are amazing, mm-hmm. like incredible parents. And um, we were pretty good kids, I think, you know. Okay. We, we're just, I don't know. They're, they're great parents. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I guess another way of asking that might be like, um, so it sounds like you were legitimately 
into it. It wasn't just like the family activity. No. Like, I guess as point of reference, mm-hmm. I, I saw a video recently of, of you as a kid, what, getting to perform for Earl mm-hmm. and was it Ricky or something yeah. like that? There's yeah. some sort of, of like yeah. kids uh, band. I don't, I don't really yeah. remember what the context was, yeah. but I, I could see how excited you were to mm-hmm. be in that situation. So it was something that you seemed like genuinely passionate about. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like what was around the house. Right. Yeah. It, it, it happened to go together, you know. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, rem- I remember when I was seven, I had already been going to bluegrass festivals and, you know, uh, jam sessions mostly mm-hmm. at, the, at a place called the Bluegrass Parlor in Tampa, Tampa, Florida, which is unfortunately now no more. But uh, a bunch of musicians came out of that band, like Aubrey Haney and uh, oh, wow. Jason Berry. And huh. uh, it was a band, but also... Uh, like bluegrass shop, you know, for records and everything. Okay. David Crow, who worked with Osborne Brothers for uh, many years. Anyway, it, we happened to be like in a nice hub down there in the in the Tampa area. And uh, when I was seven, getting back to that, my dad said just randomly, "Would you want to learn to play banjo?" And I just said, "Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah of course." You know, I just assumed it would happen. Really, it wasn't talked about. And it was just right when he asked, I was like, yeah. Did he have this orchestration in mind? Like he had, he offered you the banjo and your brother played the mandolin and your other brother played bass or whatever it was. Uh, did, did he, did he have this like family band construct that he I was working toward? So. I don't think so. You know, my, my dad uh, is a really, really good banjo player. He doesn't give himself enough credit, but, uh, but he says that he's good enough to know that he shouldn't be playing on stage, <laughs> you know, like yeah. at a professional level. Yeah, I don't think it, it was like orchestrated in his mind or anything, but uh, kind of went with the flow or he whatever. He just wanted to provide you guys with the opportunities to yeah. be involved um, mm-hmm. however you could. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, you said he was like a, a big new grass guy. What mm-hmm. were, do you remember who your favorite players were when oh, you gosh. were starting out? Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, uh, Bela. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bela still is, you know, if I had to pick two banjo players, it would be Earl and Bela. It's like the... Those are uh, some good ones. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's the start and where it is now, you know, in, in a way, you know. I mean, Bela just blows my mind. Uh, anytime I hear him, anytime I pick with him, which is, you know... I wish I could do it every day, you know, yeah. because anytime you're around him, it seems like, seems like he, it, it's just so uh, natural, you know, effortless seeming. Were you advanced enough early enough to actually be learning some of Bela's music when you were that age, or was that just more for listening um, pleasure? Well, you know, I, I, I uh, took lessons at the Bluegrass Parlor mm-hmm. in Tampa as well, starting at seven uh, for about two years. And uh, we started with Baldwin Cabbages Down yeah. and, and Cripple Creek and, and John Hardy and, you know, Cumberland Gap and uh, Old Joe Clark and um, Ground Speed. And, you know, so I, I had a great teacher. His name was uh, Stephen Stadler. And he was a, uh, he is a great banjo player, um, kind of, you know, chromatic style, but hard driving uh, yeah. down in Florida. He lives in Naples, Florida now. Well, Really, the Everglades. He lives in the middle of nowhere, but <laughs> but I did. I I can tell, and I could tell 
that, uh, you know, a lot of the Bela records, uh, especially the Newgrass new stuff, definitely, like, changed how I would have maybe played if I hadn't heard that stuff, you know, even at an early age. Like, hmm. I remember thinking, you know, I remember single string uh, uh, playing coming a lot easier to me than than uh, one would maybe think. And I think it's because of hearing so much Bela. Yeah, like, do you remember what you... Yeah, I remember, I remember like, realizing that, you know, when I was maybe seven or so, maybe, maybe eight, uh, realizing that I could make my pointer finger the capo. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And so, and I would take, like, a lot of hammer-ons and pull-offs. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know. But, but you know. And for listeners, what Corey is doing is, is, is barring his index finger yeah. across a fret to use that, like you said, as a capo. Yeah, but but it was very basic, you know. But but that was huge, mm-hmm. um, and then um, it went from there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Earl Scruggs. I, I w- went through a huge Earl Scruggs phase where I, I mean, it was just it's all I wanted to listen to. I really think that people have to do that if to where they're actually just gripped by it, really deep down, you know, to really be able to have a lot of the weight. Uh, and the history of the music, the lineage. Are you able to articulate what you think that is that somebody gets out of the music when they get that focused into it and pay close attention? Like, even through a demonstration, are, are you, what, what do you hear in your own playing that, that you do that maybe you wouldn't have picked up? Or, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, uh, the opposite, mm-hmm. what do you hear other players do that to you indicates that maybe they did not spend uh, as much time paying attention to the those details that you did right well you know it's it's like reading it's like reading important books which I haven't done enough of but you know it's language and if you know what like how are you gonna what are you gonna say about biophysics you know if (laughs) if you've only studied or or studied nothing or like just have read poetry your whole life, you know, and yeah. that's it. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it, definitely one part is just the language, and another part is uh, just truth, you know. Like, I think that if you don't know where things come from, you're not going to uh, carry on anything of great in- importance if you don't know the source, you know, and, and he was the source, and you can keep going back. And I, I just find that the best players end up listening to older and older music, and that becomes their everyday. Or anytime they listen to music, you know, it's like either the old guys or uh, something completely different that is new or old, but it's completely different, you know. Once you, I feel like once you can kind of speak the language, so to say, in whatever way to communicate enough to where you feel like you're actually getting some stuff out that's Mm -hmm. true that happens and then how do you think that turns into you or or any player like having their own voice because it's it's almost strange right because there's it's the both of those things are so important to study the history and and where all this comes from but also to hopefully do things that are a little bit unique in Mm -hmm. your own own way Right. Yeah. Well, most most things are 
contradictory, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's up and down and left and right and north and south and black and white and and uh, light and, and dark and, you know, I, I see things that way. I mean, uh, you look at the country today and, it, and that's how everybody looks at everything. It's this and that. And in a way it is, you know, the duality. But I think in anything, you have to have an understanding of, of, of both and, and understand why you, you know, why you like the old guys, you know, mm-hmm. and gals. Uh, and, you know, why you like this and you also like this. I don't see, you know, basically, I don't see it really as contradictory. I, I, I think you can't have one without the other. And I think that uh, it's just how it goes. I, I wish it wasn't as yeah. hippy-dippy, but I don't know really how to explain it. It uh, seems to work. And even if we don't understand why it works, right. it does seem to work. It does, you know. Yeah. and But, yeah, the best players do that, right? you know. And so that's, that's enough that's enough to just know. Like, if you're wanting to, to really get better, then you need to study everything old. I mean, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the history of the music. And then, and then you get to a certain point where you're playing, it's like you're speaking through a bunch of greats because you learn, you know, to emulate their language and the little tiny things, you yeah. know, the subtle stuff and, and physical things like how slow or how much tension somebody pulls the string on a pull-off or how fast or how slow or how often they use pull-offs. You know, everybody's, you know, it's like, I love it. It's Miles Davis quote. He's like, you know, like with music, I, you know, even if it's something that people think I wouldn't like, I can enjoy it. And he says, it's like food. You know, you get a plate of food, eat what you like, leave the rest. Yeah. Like, if you don't like it, you know, focus on, on the things that are really good. And, right. And then you'll pull a lot more stuff out of everything. I found it really, really hard because I kind of got in a rut. Like, when, I guess, it's generally that time, you know, it was like, when I started going to college, it's like, okay, what, what do I do now? You know, like, and I was playing with Sierra Hall at the time. And I just remember having to push myself to listen to stuff that I was uncomfortable with. And even at one point, repulsed by, just, I just didn't, I, I thought that I didn't like it. And, uh, and so I really had to learn all over again how to listen. And, uh, oh. and it, that was a huge thing. I mean, gosh. How interesting. Yeah. It was crazy but and some of that is forcing yourself to do that um but uh another part is you know maturing or whatever you know opening up your ears you know there's so much so much great great music out there right now in space you know so what was some other music that influenced you because you obviously didn't for as deep as you went Mm -hmm. and studied earl scruggs yeah you didn't come out the other end sounding exactly like earl right so So what else influenced you on the way, and what did you pick up uh, specifically from some of those influences? Well, you know, like when I started, it was Earl, Mm -hmm. and then, and then it was it was Earl for a long time, and Bela. It was Bela. It was like Bela, then Earl, then Bela again, and then Jim Mills, Tom Adams, Sammy Sheeler, Scott Vestal, 
Crow. Gosh, there's so many, but of course I can't think of them now. And what are what are some <laughs> things you learned from each of those guys? Are you are you able to identify pieces of your own own playing oh, yeah. of what you picked oh, yeah. up from each of those guys? Oh yeah, I mean I can I can you know I can listen to a record. I I almost never need the credits, you know, to know who's playing pretty mm-hmm. much all the instruments, uh, which I think is all that we listen to CDs so much. Uh-huh. But, you know, Dad driving us wherever like you know to the jam or whatever and we had all these bluegrass cds yeah dad would support you know the the bluegrass parlor and buy cds when they came out and so i could look at all the liner notes and so i started to really identify the sounds of of everybody yeah and associate it with yeah yeah, Yeah, who's doing what so like you know so that was really helpful because it helped me uh learn how to emulate specific players you know like in in feel and it time feel and like tone and and language you know through licks and all I would that love stuff. to hear an example of this like what like how um and sorry mm-hmm. if this is too tricky or putting you uh-huh. on the spot but like let's take maybe a normal kickoff to a song I don't even sure. care what it is Blue Ridge Cabin okay. Home or something like that and how would you adjust the time feel yeah. according to a different player sure. um, yeah so like you know you could you could play it like um uh, or you could play it like uh, that's kind of like just a Ron Stewarty kind of straighter, uh, you know, with kind of the crow feel, but a little straighter, like Scruggs. not quite as swingy as crow. Right, right, okay, right. right. and uh, and then you know you you have somebody like uh, like Sammy Sheeler, yeah. and it and it's way different. He's he had incorporates a lot of roles like so it's like uh, uh-huh. and that's yeah. all, that's on the spot as you know the bunch of people are walking by looking at me and then I immediately <laughs> get in my head but but I think you can probably tell what I'm you know or hear it right and I do identify that as more Sheeler-esque even if I don't know exactly I haven't you know had time to dissect exactly what it right. is but it's like oh yeah I do hear him yeah do those right. things whether it's picking that three to two note rather than pull it off he right. does some of that sure yeah yeah and those, it's, it's a lot of uh he has like certain roles, you know, uh, like. And inflections, you know, right. uh, on certain notes. And, and, all, and every single great player has that barcode that's uh-huh. them, you know. And, and so the more, the more of that you do with, uh, you know, great players, you know, the more you'll be able to fit different grooves if if something's not feeling quite the easiest uh-huh. playing with a certain band or or jam or whatever there's so many different things that you can turn on or turn off as far as playing with a band you know and it it takes a long time to to uh, learn that and know how to do that like i i remember thinking basically forgetting all of that at once i was uh, a teenager but well 17 18 okay that's when I really thought that it, it's like you play it this way. The yeah. timing is this. And yeah. I think there was something to that. But 
but it's um, probably uh, mostly true and completely true, but <laughs> but also very useful. And uh, it's weird. It, there's the contrast again. You know, I'm a I'm a walking uh, talking paradox. No, I'm not. <laughs> so I I know, but I lo- I love hearing that idea of. You could be playing something in in perfect time, mm-hmm. but it still might just not quite not be clicking with, with who you're playing with, and it might be up to you to adapt that. Oh, it's I think it so is. It's if not more than all the other players. It's definitely uh, we're definitely you know an equal part, yeah. and, and we have to adjust, especially living in Nashville because everybody is coming from everywhere. And yeah. everybody plays differently. Everybody has listened to different records. You know, uh, everybody's coming from a different place. And, and that's why so many great records and music in general happens in Nashville. It's, uh, it's just this intermingling of uh, different influences through people who are just psycho about learning what it is, you know. And, and I don't think any of us really know what... What, what it is that we're chasing or getting at. Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out the courses they have, and this is just for banjo. You could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high-quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS Strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck. 
just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. So you said each player has their own, I think you used the term barcode for what makes them them. Yeah, what sounds like them when you listen to them. Uh, You know, I don't know. Maybe it's not the greatest term. Are there any? No, I I think it's a perfectly accurate term. But uh, I guess what I want to get at is when did you maybe see your own Cory Walker barcode start to come into focus? Or or Mm -hmm. which of these skills uh, that you gathered from any of these players do you think are really important aspects of your own yeah. barcode? Uh, I feel like I had I had a certain uh, uh, sound, a certain barcode of, of my own when I was, you know, a teenager around 14, 15, 16, uh, mainly uh, because of the picks that I used. Um, huh. I grew up using uh, Ernie Ball picky picks. picks. And so how I learned how to play, and I, in a lot of ways, I like my tone a lot better that I I pulled back then. Like how I learned to pull tone with them was like kind of s- snapping them, you know, uh, okay. back. It not rolling off the strings or a, a easy release like a standard national. Okay. Or, it was almost like pulling a slingshot yeah, or something exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And uh, and uh, you know that's what I was using on all those Sierra Hall records and okay. and uh, you know on that thing that you mentioned uh, the the Scruggs thing and. I didn't, it wasn't till golly, till, till I was probably 19 or 20 mm-hmm. that I just had to start using nationals because uh, the metal was just too thin, you know, or okay. it was soft, but I think it was just too thin. And uh, so it was more of a, a durability with the picks themselves yeah, rather I, than any sort of musical preference. Yeah, yeah, and and I realized that it's a lot easier to to sound pretty good. Mm-hmm. With with uh, you know with bigger blades, I mean yeah. those those Ernie Ball picks the the blades are like you know yeah quarter nothing. inch wide or something yeah, yeah. I mean it's stupid and it, <laughs> and if you're you're like you know psycho like like I was and still I am about wanting things to sound good and feel good you know you'll just go crazy I mean yeah. you've got to get to dial it in it's like you know well we're definitely going to dive into to your gear choices too yeah. but what were we talking about the bar yeah, yeah, the bar the barcode of your style you, yes. um i don't know go go on with that yeah 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 so um and that you know so in a way uh, i i felt like i felt like a banjo player of my own mm-hmm. then uh and i think most of it was because of those picks and how i learned to play like uh, my timing was a certain type of thing and then it just got like impossible to do that, you know, because yeah. of 
just getting bigger. My hands are bigger. And, uh, and then so like I had to grapple with, oh, what do I do? Not because of the picks, but just because, you know, when you go to college, you, you end up like thinking. It's yeah. kind of what it's for. It's your learning opp- opportunity to, to who, who do you want to be? And yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, and I started listening to jazz. I met uh, first, first jam I ever went to in Nashville because I was going to school in Murfreesboro, which is very close. Okay. First jam I ever went to in Nashville, I was like, oh, this is fun. And I was playing some guitar uh, in, in this jam. And it was jam. a bluegrass jam? Yeah, yeah. Well, it okay. was a jam. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, you know, I'm playing, you know, Nine Pound Hammer with, with this guy. And he sounds really good on fiddle, you know. And then this guy comes over and he's playing banjo. And I was like, ah, that sounds good. And then they play like the next tune and then completely just go crazy. I mean, just playing the the newest sounding stuff I've ever heard, you know. And it was uh, it was Ryan Cavanaugh and <laughs> and Billy Contreras. Oh, yeah. So and I was like, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, welcome to Nashville, you know. And uh, Ryan really helped me a lot um, with uh, opening up my ears and and my uh my hands in a in a different way oh please tell me more about this yeah yeah yeah. like what what do you have any specifics to uh well well ryan he he taught me like uh to start using two five ones you know which is yeah that's pretty standard in jazz Mm -hmm. but when you're a bluegrass guy you know, and you don't know anything about mm-hmm. that and, and don't really care to until you hear it, especially on your own instrument. And, you, and it, it, it's like, mm-hmm. it clicks. And it's like, ah, well, it shouldn't have to be that way. It's all music. It's the same instrument in right. the sky that's being played, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but you know, something clicks when you hear it on your own instrument. And uh, I remember, yeah, uh, he showed me this 251. And, and you can use that all on G, you know, like yeah. at any time. Um, so, like, where would you put that in um, whatever, pick a tune, nine-pound oh, hammer? Like, okay, uh, a, sure. Yeah. Um, I just used the same two five one, but moved it down two frets. Uh-huh. You know, you know, just another example. So, moving it down two frets, how does that? Ch- um, I'm trying to keep up here too myself. Oh gosh. Uh, so the the initial two five one, I understand mm-hmm. because it's in the key of G. So your two is your A minor and your and your D seven. Yeah. So how do you use moving it down two frets? So that's, it down, that's a pretty hip yeah, uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're basically, basically an F at that point. Exactly. You're basically playing a two five one in F, mm-hmm. which creates uh, a Dorian, uh, uh, you know, cadence or sound. Yeah. That's what you're playing. Then you're, you know, if you moved it up two frets, you'd be kind of initiating a Lydian sound, you know, which is bright. You know, it's like an A over G, right? So like, you know. Uh, Actually, well, I took it. Uh, that's different, actually. So <laughs> don't do that. Okay. But uh, uh, 
So you're, we're hearing it in A because... But you need a... The, the band, which sounds amazing. Yeah, this is supposed to be a bluegrass fest. It sounds like we're at the, the Chamber Music Society yeah. or something. Yeah, they sound fantastic. I need fantastic. my harpsichord right now. <laughs> right. Um, no, but it, anyway, getting back to, to that... Um, yeah, you need a G root note to hear the effect of exactly. um, how that works. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, it, you know, he, he showed me that, and, and he showed me that you could play incredibly fast single string stuff you know, like, yeah, just like blazing, you know, in a different way. Like Bela doesn't do that because he uses primarily thumb and index yeah, right. for, you know, for so single you've, string. You've adopted Ryan's Definitely three finger some, single yeah. string, and I don't do it exactly like him. I've never, I've never tried to do exactly what he does because, for one, that's something that you're not going to get completely you're you know you're not yeah and i don't want to <laughs> just <laughs> do it just like him you know i think there's a lot of utility in uh keeping the thumb index thing for uh you know downstroke at, at least definitely for more bluegrassy playing it sure. seems like uh, yeah well well and just i mean bela he plays on mm-hmm. crazy stuff you know uh great jazz records and uh and he doesn't you know, use anything except thumb and index, yeah. at least for single string. And I think there's a consistency there that's really helpful. Because, you know, when you got three, you know, things are going to be constantly lining down. up, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, backwards and forwards, and, you know, like you're, which you can implement, you can build two, you know, machines, so to say, that work on both sides, if you know mm. what I mean, you know, so you, you have a secure fortress. And I've done some of that, implementing um, mechanisms to make me feel like I'm still on level ground. You know, uh, it's hard to explain. I wish yeah. I didn't speak like this, but, <laughs> you well, know, well, it's I like mean, all like allegory and... No, I I love it. This is, it sounds fascinating, but... Um... Do you, do you have an example of a mechanism that keeps you on on level ground? What oh, type? Are, are we talking man. techniques or it's, musical it's techniques, approaches? But it's also it's like just mental. Like it, it's not really techniques, uh, really. But it's like you know, for instance, like if I learn if I learn something, I will learn to play it thumb index, and yeah. then also whatever uh, is the most economical to be able to utilize that third finger as well. You know what I mean? I, I don't learn. think I don't think that you want to implement that third finger unless you can do it easily with thumb and in, thumb index. I think that's really important. It almost sounds like you're building in redundancy to your playing, mm-hmm. almost like fail safes or exactly. something like that. That's yeah, perfect. Perfect term. Okay. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, because you you don't know like if you if you like improvising like like I do you don't know where you're going to end up. And, uh, I don't want, uh, I don't want to just have to stop playing and pause. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And of then, course. which is fine uh, to, and good to take breaths, so to say, and in, in the playing that's important. It's just as important as the notes, you know, but if you have to pause, but you don't want to, that's different. You know, you're being sure. shut up. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It needs to be with intention. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's talk about improvising. You said mm -hmm. what, that when you got to college, you started getting into jazz. Yep. We heard from your explanation that you, you at least have an awareness of modal playing. Mm -hmm. And that all is a, a little more, I hesitate to use the word mm -hmm. sophisticated, but it, it's, it's more academic Ooh, than... Yes. it's it's. <laughs> It's more academic than most uh, bluegrass yes. musicians are confronted with. So, well, it's very funny you should bring that up. Um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know where I'm going with that. So. Well, I, I could get really weird, but I don't think I don't think it's the the podcast for that. But there's probably one out there. I could start a new one. Uh, y yes, you should. It it wouldn't be mandolins and beard. Wouldn't be picky fingers. It'd be like banjos and absinthe or something like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Get out the get out the wormwood. Yeah, if we know how to find some of that, you know that that could be uh, interesting. Wasn't it it like who used it like when they would write books? Absinthe. Yeah, was probably a bunch of. Was it Hemingway? I he liked the whiskey. Did Hemingway. he? Hemingway. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Do you know it? I don't. What's that? Was he? Was he was the absinthe guy? Okay. I was. I was, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe people can write in and uh, okay. somebody out there knows. Well, let's, let's steer the Titanic away from the iceberg. Yes. No. Yes. I, I wanted to ask about, you, you, you have a very highly improvisational style at mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. You know the, some things about modal playing. You got into jazz. Talk about mm -hmm. how, how you integrate. The, and these are all over fiddle tunes and stuff that you yeah. use these tools. Mm -hmm. What are some, I, I don't know, I feel like oh, I have so many questions yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you work on improvising? How could people maybe uh -huh. make their own playing a little more jazzy? Yeah. Um, uh, well, it, yeah. Well, one of the big, uh, you know, things is like, uh, like, especially when we're, uh, when I'm playing banjo, usually it's on some, some type of bluegrassy, you know, yeah. gig. I, I'm not playing in, you know, jazz right. clubs you know um so uh, i think you have to know you have to study like we were saying the music you know and the lineage and the history and really you have to love it i mean you have to really love it like more than anything to have i think the sensibility uh needed to know when this stuff that you're trying out doesn't fit and doesn't <laughs> sound right. And it doesn't sound like bluegrass. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, and I, I don't set out to do this, but I like looking, you know, from the outside, I feel like what I'm trying to do in a lot of ways is bring new stuff to bluegrass and mm -hmm. it still sound like bluegrass, okay. but, but like other language that also works and sounds still your own barcode right yeah. yeah and yeah and a lot of the barcode like i say you know it's uh, learning from people that you like and like if you hear bela told me this he said he's like if you hear something that you like that's that should be like a flag immediately that's like this is part of you this is part of your oh. of your sound this is learn it incorporate it i love that it's like yeah. what you like is part of you at your art you know you know so to say but basically yeah you hear something you like it learn it it's not that hard yeah so I, i've seen quite a few of your videos where you'll 
transcribe, say, a, a pretty wild, maybe saxophone solo mm. or, or stuff like that. Yeah. Is that the primary way that you have worked to integrate this new, these newer language yeah. or, uh, vocabulary yeah, uh, into yeah. what you're doing? Well, I started, I started, um, I went to Billy Contreras. I consulted the Oracle, uh, so to say. And, and, for, and uh, for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> give us like the, the, Oh, well, one sentence uh, bio of, of Billy Contreras. <laughs> Billy Contreras, I mean, to me, is as significant as uh, uh, Charlie Parker. You know, I mean, we're we're seeing something like that. I mean, he's a genius. He's a musical genius. Yeah. Fiddler, um, fiddler. Yeah, I mean, the greatest jazz fiddler of all time. And so, so I went to him uh, for a lesson, you know, just about music because I want to understand, you know, more about uh, how music works, and you know, and I want to be able to play like that. I want to be able to have that on, you know, the tip of my tongue, so to say, or, yeah. uh, my fingers. <laughs> um, it's the same thing. Uh, it's all language, but. And, and he, he kind of guided me to learning uh, some of the earlier saxophone players, you know, basically starting with the Charlie, Charlie Parker era, mm-hmm. like, but not really, I've, I've learned some Charlie Parker, but, but I also focus on Sonny Stitt, who's like a, very much a, a, a bird guy. You right. know? He was just trying to sound like Charlie, and then he started having his own sound, his own way with it. But that, you know, studying players like that really gave me a bunch of language that I've heard a lot from listening to those records, but hadn't implemented. And all of the, you know, all of the language kind of shows you how little pieces of music work and how it all fits together and how you can navigate through it all, you know? Yeah, because I, I say that because when I got into jazz you know I didn't know where to start or whatever and and I just I got way into like and Miles and then Coltrane and Pharaoh Sanders and yeah. like stuff you know that was way pretty weird stuff late, yeah. later than you know where it started and mm-hmm. so I had to retrace my steps and I still am not a jazz player but I like I love it I love improvising so you know, it How do you work on together. improvising? Uh, so, didn't mean to cut you off no, there. No, no, Sorry. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, jamming, jamming, and not being afraid. Uh, you know, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing because you really do. Once you get good enough, which I am not there, but I get glimpses of it. You know, there really aren't mistakes. You know, people, yeah. people, you know, 
say that all the time, and it's almost a cliche, but it's actually true because um, everything relates to a thousand things in a thousand different ways each, you know? And so you're never lost, you know? You might think you are, but, you know, it's like, it's almost like claustrophobia, you know, like people like will hit something or not know what to do. And then it's like, oh, uh, you're, you're frozen. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're the prey so waiting that, for the, for the, you know, <laughs> the cat. You right. smelled cat odor. Yeah, it may or may Freeze. not be there. Right. Yeah. But um, that, that really uh, hinders people a lot, and including myself, if I, if I let my self get in the way mentally you know so Uh, that's a really important mindset i think uh can't be afraid but in terms of just nuts and bolts Mm -hmm. practicing Mm -hmm. are there are there any things that you do maybe even just on your own when you're not in a jamming or gig situation that you think helps you improvise once you do get into the the real world scenario learning new things that you like but I, I don't, that's really it. I mean, like, Bluegrass in itself, even the original band, it's highly improv-based, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, like, a lot of the, uh, the mechanisms in, in your, you know, in your brain are already there and, and hardwired. So, um, yeah, I, I just kind of try stuff. I mainly just try stuff out while jamming or on stage or recording. <laughs> and uh, and you get better, you get better and better at being more Sensing, consistent at yeah. being exactly the opposite, yeah. you know, of cool. consistency. But like basically, when I when I play something and I go, ah, I I hated that. I I, I do not like what that sounds like over that chord that I just played. You know, mm-hmm. I tend to not do it again. So it's and vice versa, if it right. if it. Yeah. Sounds great. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. And then, and then it, you know, then you can get tired of your playing and then you, ha- you have to change stuff up. And that can be as easy as starting on the, on the downbeat. I mean, on, on the offbeat instead of the downbeat, but playing the exact same thing, oh. you know, uh, or playing something twice, but starting on the other side of the beat, but n- not, it's, it's hard Are to Are you explain. able to demonstrate that? <laughs> not hardly. Okay. No, uh, not not without not without uh, figuring it out. For- yeah, well, and with a band, you know, it's like so much. So much is like listening and reacting. Oh right, yeah. It wouldn't really sound any different, right? It, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good well, point. Unless Sorry. unless I had perfect timing, and, and so do the listeners. Yeah. Well, we'll get this going. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hey, let's. Uh, we're we're being threatened to be kicked out. Let's. Um, but it's it's okay. You will not. Pass. I'm not. I'm not scared. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your gear now. What is this banjo that you have? It is a uh, pre-Iraq War uh, Gibson Earl Scruggs Golden Deluxe, made uh, on Friday the 13th of October 2000. Can we so get it, a fact check? Was that a Friday the 13th? Oh, the cameras just went off. <laughs> you see the lights. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, it's like the ultimate like evil Halloween banjo of the millennium. Yep, he's right. He's got it. Yep. Dang. Yep. See, I told you. But um, 
got Rain Man here. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's a it's just a uh, Earl Scruggs model, but uh, the neck is a uh, a Robin Smith neck. Oh, um, with bigger frets, and it's got a compound radius okay. board. Yeah. So you did you own this banjo with the original neck, and yeah. that was a, a preference that you had? That yeah, you, okay. and, and honestly, I mean, there's a lot of things about just a flat fingerboard that I actually prefer. Oh. Um, but uh, to me, it's about impossible to do some of the stuff that guys with a lot bigger scales, you know, uh, like piano or, or a violin, mm-hmm. if you're trying to transcribe that stuff and actually uh, internalize it to where you can utilize it. It's really hard uh, with a flat fingerboard, I've found. It's just okay. easier. Uh, I don't know exactly. Um, what are your other preferences on the banjo in terms of like head, bridge, tailpiece? Mm-hmm. Is, is anything yeah, uh, yeah. special that you'd like to point out that you're, yeah. that you're really... I mean, uh, you know, I do most of uh, the setup work on my, on my banjos. Uh, I don't do like neck sets and stuff like that, but... Uh, but I do most all of it. I like the head right there. G sharp, right G or, sharp. or in between a G and G sharp. And it changes, you know, and it's going to change. But uh, one thing is don't fool with it too much. Like, like golly, if you're going to change something, it has to be minute and you have to give it a day. And, yeah. just, and then play it again. Just don't be crazy about it ocd you know yeah that anyway yeah uh you know slight bow in the neck i like low action uh i'm still using robin smith bridges you know i hate that he's gone he was he was awesome uh i'd take all my stuff to him he was amazing but uh and then what picks did you switch to after you retired your picky picks uh well you know wes corbett i was i was talking to him you know about going from picky picks to nationals and he was like well he's like you ought to try the stainless steel nationals and they're mp2s Mm -hmm. you can get them anywhere but uh yeah that's that's what i like so so i hate that we have to feel like we're cutting short but i don't want to deprive you of the chance to like tell people where to find your music and like Mm -hmm. who you're playing with and just you know all all that business yeah yeah yeah. um something i've done recently is i i played uh a weird version of Wheelhouse with uh, Mike Barnett uh, on his uh, duet record. Okay. Uh, And uh, maybe that's a good place to listen to my playing. Uh, Yeah. It's called Hybrid Hoss. a tough melody to play but, oh, uh, I'll have to check that out yeah, I'm, not, but, I'm not familiar but he but he wrote it and uh, I've actually got a record coming out soon oh do you <laughs> yeah yeah oh, in a couple great. months yeah oh and wonderful I'm really excited about it 
Okay. And uh, it's it's really my first record I've ever done. Oh so, yeah, I'll, I'll be you know. anxiously awaiting it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And then also, is there a uh, website or something for for that? Uh, not yet. Okay. Yeah, but uh, there probably will be. But I'm on Instagram and and Facebook and all that. Yeah. And also, uh, just released a record with a band that I play in called the East Nash Grass, like East Nashville Bluegrass. Yeah. East Nash Grass, and uh, we're doing some showcases here at IBMA and. Uh, random stuff you know I, mm-hmm. I it's like mike bub says you know uh you play with you play with everybody don't you and he says no i, I i'll play with anybody <laughs> and and that you know that's how i've kind of approached it and it's worked well, well he, he lived Nashville. he lived by that credo i think oh yeah bub, bub is everywhere so oh yeah yeah that's cool hey thanks a lot Corey. that was really fascinating stuff i love hearing uh I know you said you hate that you talk like that, but I, I love hearing it. So <laughs> thanks, yeah. for, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thanks a lot, Keith. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of the Picky Fingers podcast, folks. The sound clips that you heard in this episode in order were Riding the Lines by Easton Ashgrass, Hilarious by Sierra Hull, Charm School by Bela Fleck, Cherokee by Sonny Stitt, and Hybrid Hoss by Mike Barnett. Don't forget, if you are hearing this on December 20th, the day that it's released, tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, join the VIP lounge open to all. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to get the Google Meet link to uh, join me and your fellow listeners. Thank you once again to Stephen Moore, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Go get your last-minute stocking stuffers at BanjoPodcast.com. Those are the Picky Fingers t-shirts and stickers. And use Picky21 for the coupon code at checkout to get 21% off your order. Email me at PickyFingersBanjoPodcast at gmail.com. And hope everyone has a safe and fun and relaxing and banjoistic holidays and new year. I will uh, see you all in 2022, which is definitely going to be way better than this year. Right? Right, guys? Right? ask that again I'm, it's so weird seeing all the and hearing it's crazy man like i'll see somebody and then they, they like i make eye contact and i'm like what are we talking about